I think this is the most uh, wide-spanning uh, Escape from Planet A podcast episode in that we have Jess all the way in California, me <laughs> and Sam in New York, and Christina all the way in France. Yeah, we're going international. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Planet A empire is expanding. Um, <laughs> Christina, why don't you tell us a little bit more about where you are right now in Grenoble, right? Yes, so Grenoble is near the French Alps. So I get to see the Alps every day. And it kind of like, uh, it kind of co- like encompasses the entire city. And um, just like talking to people, it's a really big characteristic of the city being next to the Alps. But in general, the kind of sense that you get from this town is that it's a very avant-garde town, um, which is not oh, really? a term that I use necessarily, but it's a term that <laughs> I've been, I like people have told me that I should really look at <laughs> about the city. And that's actually like really true. Like when you walk around, There's a lot of graffiti all over the place. There's like a part of the town that is very old and all the buildings are like very old. I mean, I think that's near the center of the city, which is where I'm at right now. Like my building is like pastel colored. It's like pink and it doesn't really have an elevator or anything that's like that electric. Yeah, it's like really old. But then there's another part that is like very modern. And then there's like a nanotechnology center and it's just it's just like such a weird little town. Like at first when I was there, I just like didn't really like it too much just because um, I think <laughs> I was thrown off by like, why is there graffiti in France <laughs> or like, yeah. But then after I've been like situated in it and I've like learned to cook, learned to go to the butcher shop, <laughs> I've been like hanging out in the farmer's market. <laughs> And like shopping around, like I realized, like it's a really cute city. So does it look like a like a classic French town, like from Beauty and the Beast, but it's got some weird modern buildings and graffiti in certain places? Yes, I, I uh, actually no. Okay. Uh, I'm not really sure. <laughs> That's a really weird visual, Disney, but yeah. with graffiti. <laughs> I'm not really sure. To me, it it strikes me as very French because. It's everything seems really small in that the restaurants are really small. The butcher shops are really small. But except how people dress, there's a lot of denim jackets. There's a lot of leather jackets. Yeah, what's up with the denim? Do like Europeans have a thing for denim jackets? I don't know, because when I was in Russia, there was a lot of denim jackets, a lot of rollerblading for some reason. It it felt like like, kind of like early 90s. I, I don't know if it's like a Euro thing, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I get that too. I feel like the taste in music is kind of stuck there as well because a lot of people just don't listen to um, French music or, like, modern French music. So when you turn on the radio, it's, like, really old music, like, really old American music that comes out. I feel it kind of does feel a little bit trapped in the past. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's weird because I feel like a lot of um, Americans try to act French in some ways, like a certain breed. So being here is really interesting because it's like, now I'm seeing the other side of that. You can just you know? say it, Christina. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's white women in their 20s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we've spent our whole time trying to be them, but they're spending time trying to be us. So it's like a weird, <laughs> it's a weird cultural exchange. But yeah. Escape from plan A. Do you feel like you have any ingrained feelings about Asian men and white men? Do you think you have any idea of... I, 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 I do, I definitely do, which, you know, again, it's a little bit disappointing because we, you know, especially growing up 
mixed race, you think that you would kind of have a, a, an equal sort of view on, on things, but I, I definitely do have preconceived notions and ingrained ideas about, about both, both races and both men, for sure. Hi, and welcome to the Escape from Plan A podcast. This is Plan A Magazine's uh, podcast. Uh, and here I am joined by Jess Christina, whom you've heard on podcasts before, and a first-time guest, very special guest, uh, Sam. Uh, so Sam is a student and activist in New York City. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself, Sam? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm 24, born here, raised in Hong Kong for 11 years, and been living in New York City for the past... 13 years. So everyone, let's give a warm plan A welcome to Sam. Thanks for joining us. And this episode, we're going to talk about, I mean, there's like, this is a, a very um, popular discussion in Asian uh, spaces, especially online, is this high rate of uh, white partnership uh, that a lot of Asian women have and how this relates to genderized racism, internalized racism, etc. But often the uh, discussion is always about like what the men feel about the women or what the or like Asian men feel about Asian women or what Asian women feel about Asian men. But one thing that is very neglected is how this affects Asian women with with respect to their relationship with other Asian women, especially their family and friends. So for that, we have uh, Christina, Jess and Sam to talk about it. And I will I, I'm mostly here mainly as a sound technician. Basically, I'll do the intro and I'll uh, I'll pretty much kind of fade into the background until the end. So, Jess, why don't you take it from here? Sure. Thanks. Uh, so I thought a good way to start the conversation, especially Sam, since uh, since you're new, um, this, this is your first time potting with us, uh, was for us to kind of briefly give an overview of just how we came became aware of the subject. I know we come into it with a lot of different perspectives, but just kind of like a rough like timeline, like like how you started to conceptualize this as a as a as an issue, possibly even a problem, and like what it means to you right now in this space. So, um, Sam, I'll pass it off to you. Yeah, um, as I mentioned um, earlier, I moved to um, New York City when I was. 11. I'm 24 now, so I've been living here for the past 13 years. Um, and my consciousness of race and racism has really grown over time. And one of the patterns I've noticed very early on was uh, high rates pairing of Asian women and white men together. And I've always wondered why. And I would wonder about it in a very neutral way. Like I just... I I would also with curiosity like oh why is this that how did this phenomenon came about um so I didn't have any positivity or nor negativity attached to it um but I was constantly searching answers for it just out of curiosity so I would ask people um usually white guys actually like um who are dating Asian women who clearly have a particular liking of Asian women I guess you could say and ask, oh, why? What is it about Asian women that you like about them? And I was always not getting an answer because, like, one of them would say, I don't know. I just am more attracted to Asian women. Um, there was another one that expressed somewhat disturbing ideas. Like, uh, I was very naive. I think I made friends with not very good people. So, like, this Russian Jewish American guy 
came over to my place and he thought it would be cool to show me the porn he watches and it's titled like Asian Pussy. Like he thinks that's okay in my living room. And I was like, oh, so this is what some of the guys think. Okay, uh, well, that was disturbing, but there goes some of the data I just collected. Um, and then I keep doing more research and one time I encountered this book, I believe it's called Asian Mystique. And, and I didn't, I thought it was just like a general Asian American history because I was, that's what I was looking for. But I ended up finding the answers to all the questions I ever have about the phenomenon of Asian women with white men. And, um, this is a white American woman who, um, is a journalist, uh, based in Asia. I think Hong Kong specifically. I'm not sure if she moved to elsewhere. And she's been doing, uh, research and interviews with Asian women in various Asian countries. Maybe to a certain extent, Asian American women here as well. I'm not sure, but I know, and uh, she has done a lot of interviews in Asia, and um, I it completely changed my view. I could no longer view it in a neutral way, and nor was it a, a curiosity thing anymore. It became a concern to me because I came to realize. No, I wouldn't say just through the book. I mean, even through some personal interaction and observation, um, in addition to the book that gives historical context, it makes me realize how problematic a lot of these relationships are. A lot of it has to do with internalized racism, or the idea that white people, whiteness is superior, and that really bothers me along with this Asian fetish that's been done and still continues to go on um, to Asian women. How about you, Christina? Yeah, so I think for me, um, my interest in uh, Asian Americans in general from the be- from the beginning, I guess since like high school, has been uh, primarily it had been primarily academic. So I was really interested in Asian American history in general. And um, when I think about why I decided to be interested in that topic, I think it was because when I was younger, I was listening to a lot of like hip hop and R and B, and I realized that a lot of minorities in America, specifically black Americans, derive a lot of power and um, understanding of themselves by understanding their history. And I realized that the only way that I would be able, in my head, to derive that same sort of empowerment is to understand my history in a similar way. So um, I remember, I was always a fiction writer. So I remember that the first story that I really wanted to write about Asian Americans had been about um, being a Chinese American nurse in the Vietnam War because um, there was a documentary that I watched about that. I think it was just on YouTube or something. So my Asian American consciousness as a political consciousness had always been rooted in um, Asian American history because that was what really um, gripped me as a high schooler. So I would be just reading a lot of textbooks, reading a lot of like books about Asian American history, trying to see all the documentaries I could because I really wanted to be able to reach into that history to understand a little bit more about the context of my existence in this country. So obviously once I got to college, I um, wanted to join Asian American activism, specifically stuff about Asian American studies because I was really... I was really, um, I had this really strong belief in the transformative power of just knowing your history, I guess. Um, so then, yeah, when I, when I got to the Asian American, um, studies group, 
I think one thing that I noticed off the bat was that there was very little um, straight Asian males in the group. So it was a group of 10 people, which is not like a very large group, and there was only one straight Asian male. And everybody else was either um, a straight Asian female or uh, queer. Um, so it was really interesting to me. And um, kind of just based off of the architecture of that space, I realized that Asian, the Asian American male, specifically straight male psyche, was oftentimes pathologized and also just dismissed constantly. So there would be, um, like, people would be talking about all these issues with, like, yellow fever or um, cultural appropriation and stuff like that. And then um, somebody would bring up, it's hard for me to remember because it was such a long time ago, but, so, like, people would, people would bring up um, Asian males, like, and then somebody would immediately be like, oh, but Asian males are so misogynist. And then they would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, Asian males are so misogynist. But it was so interesting to me because that was never my experience. I mean, um, my dad is obviously an Asian male, and um, I have a very healthy and loving relationship with him. A lot of people and friends that I grew up with were Asian males, and I always really enjoyed their presences and never really felt um, that way about them. I never felt that there was like unbearable amount of misogyny coming from them. So I guess I was very confused about why the Asian male psyche was pathologized that way, specifically in the space. So then, um, and also I got really annoyed at it. So, and also I realized that the white male psyche was not pathologized the same way. So that's basically, I think, how I came into my understanding of this issue. I say, quick question, just for clarification. Uh, were those sentiments something you got out of the message of the novels that you were reading about Asian American, or was that were those sentiments you hear personally from Asian American women that wow, Asian men are so misogynist? Um, it was it was personally because I don't think I read many Asian American novels. Okay. Uh, growing up, I read a lot of history books and stuff, but I didn't read a lot of Asian American novels. So I was actually really, really surprised that, first of all, the space was skewed so much in that way, and then I was also surprised that people kept on dismissing the perspective without really engaging with basically the other huge part of the Asian American population. I gotta ask, do you challenge the notion that like, wow, Asian men are super misogynistic, or and and if you did, what was what were their response? I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I think I would always say that we have to acknowledge that there's very few straight Asian males in the room, <laughs> and everybody kind of looked at me weird. Like everybody kind of looked at me weirdly. Um, <laughs> and then also, I was just like, I was just like, I had, I obviously there are some misogynistic Asian males, course, but my yeah. the grand majority of my experiences with my friends with my family, with um, other adults in the community had been overwhelmingly, like, positive because this Same. is just how I grew up. This Like, I guess I grew up in a little bit of an enclave. enclave. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't see any of what they were seeing at all. Right. So I kept on asking them and asking them. And I do understand a little bit, not a little bit where they're coming from, but I guess, like, the space was... I guess the space was predominantly queer, so I understand, mm, okay. I think, if you're a gay Asian male and your family might be might be homophobic, 
because of cultural reasons or whatever. I see. Yeah. Um, I can understand why that would kind of skew the perspe- perceptive pers- pers- perspective. perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand why that would skew the perspective. Yeah. Specifically in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think back at it, that kind of makes a little bit of sense, but. That's something I didn't really understand a lot from coming from straight Asian females, though, um, like me. Kind of want to add into perspective as a queer and five by Asian American woman. Like I understand um, the frustration of sexism and homophobia that can come from your Asian family members, but also like just want to remind people, neither of those things are exclusive to Asians whatsoever. Like, you still have white people, white American, who are dealing with sexism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia from their family member, and they're being kicked out. Like, and you don't see them pathologizing whiteness, like, the way you see certain Asian American do with Asianness. I think that's something we need to challenge. Yeah, I agree. What about you, Jeff? Uh, so, um, I guess how I came to this, um, it was actually in a pretty roundabout way. So um, so growing up, I grew up in an area that uh, was predominantly Asian and we're talking like 70% and like 70% Asian and like 69% Mandarin speaking Chinese. Um, so it was really, it was really, uh, so my high school was entirely Asian American. So um, I mean, it was just a normal high school experience. And by normal, I mean like the crappy high school existence that everyone talks about. It just so happened that we were all like Asians instead of a mix. Um, so, I mean, I didn't date in high school and all the pair- pairings I saw around me were, you know, other Asian Americans, um, both male and female. So like my consciousness of like WMAF was very limited growing up because I just didn't see it very often. Like occasionally, like like maybe a family friend would bring, like a divorcee uh, would like brought over her like white boyfriend once for Christmas. And I thought that was, that was kind of, that was kind of weird actually. Um, just because it was so like new um, and a novel. Um, and I'd be, and I, I remember thinking, I think I was like 14 at the time thinking like, why would you do that? Um, I don't know why. Um, this guy's kind of like just taking up space and not fitting in. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but I didn't think much of it. Um, like, and then as I got, as I grew older, like went to college, I'd still see, uh, like most of the pairings I saw were still like Asian American, but I started to see more of, uh, like Asian women, uh, dating white men. And the time, like I didn't, I still didn't put too much brain power into it. I just thought like, okay, uh, we're 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 young. We're in college, and people are people are experimenting. And and honestly, I didn't know about the divergence in the numbers, like between Asian women and and Asian men necessarily. Um, I knew Asian boys in high school who really wanted to date like white women, uh, and they and most of them actually went on in college and went on to do exactly that. So a lot of my uh, male friends that I went to high school with are actually paired with with white women. Um, it didn't occur to me that there was like a divergence. Um, so, and that's probably the effect of just the very limited circles that I had been traveling in up to that point. So, um, so, uh, my consciousness of it really only started about a year or two ago, uh, when a friend of mine, uh, kind of just poked me in the ribs and was like, Hey, have you ever heard of, um, like Asian Reddit? And I'm like, no, is that a thing? 
Um, because I'd, I'd hung out in nerd reddits. Uh, I was, I mean, I'm a, I'm a data scientist, software engineer, mechanical engineer. So I, I hung out in the nerd circles quite a bit, but I just didn't know about this whole other dimension to these, uh, nerd spaces, which is, um, like as general, like meeting groups and hubs for other, for people, like-minded people to meet. And it was, it was stunning when I came, when I first came to those spaces, because I had no clue what I was looking at. There was a lot of mental energy, a lot of anger, um, and it was, it was this one topic that was, um, that was dominating the discussion. Uh, I, and I didn't, I just didn't know what to make of it. And actually like interesting fact, I just found out recently, like my mom wrote about, um, this, about WMAF as part of her, uh, PhD work. And this was back in the early eighties. I still haven't read the work that she wrote, but I really want to. But like, I guess like in a sense, um, I mean, even in, in those circles, there was some consciousness that there was something going on, something unique to Asian Americans that was uh, um, that was setting us up for high rates of the sociological term be acculturation. And one of the markers of that is intermarriage. But that it's that it's in one direction um, is telling. What it's telling, I'm not actually sure. I I mean the num I, I believe the numbers, um, and it's it's been a challenge to kind of think it through and think through what uh, what what it means both for people now and what it means in the future for future generations for future waves of young people who are coming of age in this in this uh, social climate. So that's that's about where I am. I want to ask you guys, like, what happened uh, when you tried to talk about this with other Asian women? Um, I, I can, I'll just jump in on that one. Um, uh, nothing for me, honestly. Uh, I mean, growing up, I mean, it's the same circle of friends that I've had since uh, since middle school and high school. So these are women that I've known for you know more than a decade, well more than a decade. Uh, wow, going on two decades. Um, so it's. Uh, I mean, for one thing, like when we were growing up, it just didn't happen very much. Uh, like, like even the opportunity to date out, and it just wasn't in our our universe of possibilities. We got older. Some, uh, some, some dated. Uh, some dated out. Most prefer strongly to date other Asians, and the topic doesn't really come up um, when I started. When I when I I dated. I have had two two serious relationships. One was to a Chinese American man, and one to a white man. Uh, and I remember um, when I started dating the my uh, my boyfriend now. Um, I remember bringing that up with my friends and actually t- trying to talk it through as a matter of concern because I I had concerns. Uh, like this is the first time I I had even contemplated the thought of uh, being in an interracial relationship. I wasn't sure if I was up for the challenge of trying to bridge uh, cultural gaps or whatever. And you know, talking it through with my friends, and they um, they were supportive, but they were supportive in a very in a unique way. They were more like like it's uh, like it's your it's it's your choice, obviously. Uh, like there are struggles involved with it, but you know, we're your friends, and if you decide that this is worth it for you, then we'll support you. But we're also gonna you know we're gonna vet the we're gonna vet the heck out of him too, you know, because like this is this is a foreign element to what we know to be uh, the norm in our social group. Um, like lately we've had, we've had deeper discussions on this, like people who have, you know, why do you prefer to date, you know, strictly like strictly Asian. Some are really tied to like 
like a really close friend of mine uh, wants to maintain uh, her her heritage, and it's like one tribal heritage from Taiwan, you know. So uh, she really wants to maintain that. So for her, it's 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 a, it takes on an extra dimension of importance that she find not just an Asian partner, but a Taiwanese partner at the very least, if not a Taiwanese like indigenous partner. So, but it's strictly from it's. It's from the perspective of this is this is uh, we we will support you as a woman and as our friend, but it's also trying to talk through you know like is it is it worth it? Are there challenges involved and are there are there benefits to it that are um, um, that are that can't be discussed easily? Um, and so we're starting to have those conversations, but it's not it's not antagonistic is is the thing. Like it's not a matter of like you're you're you know you're you are leaving the group or you're cutting ties or you're bringing a foreign element in. It's 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 a very pro woman kind of discussion that I have with uh, my group of uh, female friends. Such it's actually quite nice. That's like the open conversation about like. Asian and white men relationship that I've never encountered because for me I've only encountered like silence, denial, awkward silence. Yeah. I should say. I think the distinction here is, um, and I and I can't speak for any other demographic really, but just from what I'm reading and kind of what I'm inferring based on that, it's it's a matter of uh, truly centering it on on choice, but like uncoerced choice, right? So we can be honest because we have uh, we have nothing to lose by being honest about what we are what we are experiencing what we want and what we think we want and we're using our friends to kind of help us validate reinforce or correct us in that in those assumptions right so we're all professional women we all make our own money we all have our own uh we all all have our own identities we're all very different people really um but when it comes to to our partners then it's it's us reinforcing each other's ability to make true uncoerced choices while still validating the fact, that, yes, you are free to do as you please. We just would like to make sure you're doing the right, the right thing, and we'll help you think that through. So, like it, so the fact that there that there seem to be there's a, if there is silencing and a hesitance to engage openly and honestly, um, like I want I want to try to address that part because I I, I don't think it's the the rhetoric of it's just your choice period is a little unhelpful. Uh, because it doesn't imply anything about are you making the right choice for you? And ultimately, the decision is your your own. But the idea of a supportive community to help you think it through, and for, to do that, you need to be honest about what you think you're getting, and what you think you're what you think you're going to lose, what you think you're going to gain. Uh, and it it seems like that kind of honesty is is what's lacking, at least in the discourse among like Asian American women. Yes, I, I completely agree. I think that's a notion that's all too common within feminism in general, that as long as the choice it is, that's it's all fine and empowering. And that's that's just not being honest. There's such thing as a poor choice, poor decision. Um, and I, to neglect its possible negative consequences, it's only harmful. And you're right. We absolutely need open, honest conversation on this issue. I feel like uh, generally... From my perspective, I feel like I solidified my opinion on this matter at an abnormally early age. So I feel like I solidified my opinion on this matter probably at the age of like 12. Just because like even before I started dating, just because I went to like a predominantly white elementary school and then I moved to like a predominantly Asian middle school and I will just never forget 
what a different person I was <laughs> from elementary school to middle school. There might have been a lot of other confounding factors in this, but I think that the primary reason why I just felt like I was a lot more self-confident in middle school than elementary school was just that I was surrounded by Asian students, and then also we all had um, we all had our strict parents who never got us Tamagotchis or let us play with webkins or whatever. So, like, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I just felt a lot more confident in myself. And I will never really forget that feeling because that is something that was really um, embedded, I think, in who I am as a person. So it was kind of like I felt really solidified in my Asian American identity, probably at the age of 12. And then in terms of my perspective of um, dating Asian men in particular and very intentionally, that was something that occurred that was something that occurred probably when I was around 14 just because that's when I started listening to like hip hop and um old school R&B and like old school neo soul and stuff like that and then it's just that if you really listen to those lyrics I think in a lot of ways I really looked up to that kind of music not just as oh this sounds good or I like this vibe or whatever but I really kind of looked up to that music to try to understand how what it meant to be an American woman or like what it meant to be um, like a woman of color in America because I distinctly felt that just because of middle school <laughs> or whatever but it it was something that was really informative in my understanding of femininity and just in general in any neo-soul song in any R&B song the implied audience member or the implied person to whom the song is about is usually a black man. So um, you, it's usually a black man and it's usually sung by a black woman. And there was something very interesting and special about that connection that was not just, I think, individually empowering. It was also something that had a certain collective power to it, to be able to love someone of your own race, even if society is um, letting that person down or letting that group down or incarcerating those um, people in like really high rates or even if there's a drug problem in the community to love somebody who is black while you're black was something that was very spiritually important in those songs. So it would it's really interesting because a lot of the times when I say that hip-hop made me think about Asian men more as an ideal partner rather than black men. People think it's like funny, but um, that's really what it did because there was something really important in how black women viewed black men in R&B and neo-soul just in general that they believed it was like, they, it felt empowering to do that. So that was something that I really adopted and I feel like I had a stance on this issue of just being very pro-Asian men in terms of dating, even before I started dating. So, and that's also something that, like, I felt I approached every single conversation, like, about dating with that very, like, assertive stance about it. So, um, it was really interesting because I feel like the first time I ever got, like, pushback about that in general was probably in college, just because in high school, like, 
either people weren't dating or everybody was dating another Asian or nobody knew what I was talking about. So it was, <laughs> like it was a little bit different. But in college, when there when I was first surrounded by a bunch of socially aware Asians in this Asian American studies space, that was the first time I ever got really pushback from it about it. So I would talk a lot about why it's really important to include straight Asian men in these conversations and why we shouldn't just like eliminate their opinions because they're misogynistic, blah, 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 blah. And then like if they even are misogynistic or whatever, because it's important to engage, even if they are, why they are that way, what in society is shaping them to be that way. So that's basically what that's basically what I was saying um, as like this is also really important part of our community that we have to understand if we want to be able to represent our community. But I think a lot of people were pushing back on that. And um, I just rem- I just remember one conversation. I was, I think I wasn't even considering WMAF in general as like the, the hill <laughs> to stand on <laughs> or, or like the hill to look at, <laughs> like the hill. I just wasn't even thinking about it as the hill, but I... I remember bringing it up, bringing it up, and being like, "Well, why don't we view Asian men as the ideal men for us, the way that Black women view Black men as the ideal men for them, for social reasons, for historical reasons, for personal reasons? Why don't Why don't we do that?" And then I remember there was this one girl who I was talking to, who basically just told me like, "Okay." We're going to let out, like, the dirty secret. I'm dating a white guy, and I'm turning him into a social justice warrior. And I was just like, that seems like such an inadequate, like, it just seemed, it just seemed like such an inadequate response to the vision that I was trying to create, or the vision that I had for what a relationship should be. Yeah, because it's just that my idea, my, my idea I guess created even before I understood what relationships were, my idea created was it should be something that is both historically, socially, and individually important. I think your your choice of partner. Because that's how it was always presented to me in um, these spaces, in like R&B songs and neo-soul songs and like even jazz. Like it was always presented to me that way. So um, it was just that my ideal partner was never like, someone I turned into a social justice warrior. So I just remembered being so just taken aback by that response and just shocked that that vision of what, that of even our choice in partners is important for what we are socially and individually and historically and um, in the future and politically or whatever. Even the denial of that was something that was really shocking to me just because I think I approached my activism or I approached my understanding of Asian Americans through a very different lens than how a lot of other Asian Americans did. It's interesting. You're taking a political stance. So it's very much a living embodiment of, you know, the personal being political. Uh, Do you ever feel uh, like pushback against that idea? Just the just on the notion that uh, finding it problematic to center uh, male identity so much in in your own femininity. Yes, I have. And I think that as I've grown older, I think it's become less and less important, I think. Like, in terms of the personal being political, I think that when I was younger, I 
I think I just read a lot when I was younger. I was just a little bit of a nerd. I was on YouTube a lot in terms of like trying to understand things. So I I think that a lot of my um a lot of my like political ideology when I was younger was totally informed by like YouTube lectures about feminism where the political as the personal um is just like totally is just totally accepted and it's something that I also took as um acceptance or something it, it was, it's also like it's a little bit like if you're in very artistic spaces a lot of people are going to be like art is life life is art art is life life is art like and you just kind of accept it but the question I guess if you're we're talking about the art is life life is art sort of analogy the question is is art really life like if you are an artist is there stuff even more important than your art which is your life like um I mean I I, I think a good example of this is that like yeah, I guess I was I was recently reading a book called The Art of Cruelty by Maggie Nelson or something. And she gives this example that is just like if art really is life, why don't why do we make why do we make films about shootings? Why don't we actually shoot people? So that's basically what that was like one of the questions that she poses in the book. And then so that that question, the point of that is to make a distinction between art and life. In terms of I think a very similar distinction should be made, actually, between the personal and political, which is something that, it's an idea that I very recently developed. It's not an idea that I was really, that I came into college understanding, but it's an idea that I recently developed just because I feel like we should be allowed some space, like a little bit of space, to um, be individuals. So that's a little bit. So, yeah, I think I have received pushback, probably mostly from myself, <laughs> just in terms of, like, is there is there a personal that isn't political? And I think that probably if you asked me that freshman year, I would say no. But if you ask me that now, I think I would say yes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, why don't you tell us a bit about how this issue has affected some of your friendships over your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, And it didn't occur to me that it actually has affected my friendship over the course of my life in America until recently. Um, I I think part of it has to do with the fact that whenever this discussion comes up, it's mostly focused on romantic relationship. Um, I guess that's because it's most notable and people tend to put romantic relation on a pedestal. And there's not enough conversation of how internalized racism, or even how these interracial dating pairings, and the discussion on these interracial dating pairings um, can actually and do affect friendships. Um, so it took me longer to connect the dots um, of what has been happening, of my friendship or best friendships, specifically with Asian American women, until just now, because there just weren't enough public discussion for me to even make that connection. Um, so the first one being when I was 11, as I mentioned, I moved to New York City, and my first best friend was a Chinese Uruguayan girl. She's ethnically Chinese, born and raised in Uruguay, moved to New York City at the same age I did. Um, we were both in this ESL class. She moved out of ESL class to a regular class a year earlier than I did. She moved out of it in seventh grade. I was still in ESL class at the time. And, um, we went from being, you know, super close in sixth grade to just, 
uh, separated without any sort of word of closure. There was no explanation, anything. It was just uh, pretty much abandonment. <laughs> um, and it was, I know, and I'm not going to say this is like the only factor. I'm sure there are other factors of why that happened, but one undeniable factor, one of them being, is the fact she wanted to distance herself from Asianness and be a little closer to whiteness. Now, keep in mind, um, my middle school doesn't really have exactly what you call white kid, like not full white at least. I mean, there was one kid who's like half Chinese and half white. Um, I know some mixed race people don't like to refer to that, but I was, okay, mixed race, Asian of Asian descent, um, and then who's partially of European descent. That's and the other closest would be certain Hispanic students with Spanish ancestry. And that's like the closest you could get because my middle school is predominantly of Chinese immigrant, Chinese American, and then small but significant uh, minority population of Hispanic and Black American students. So um, that was the closest she could get. And keep in mind, Spanish is a native language, so it was easier for her to like fit in with that group linguistically and I guess to a certain extent culturally as well. Um, and yeah, just, and distance herself from Asian is that, that way. And um, that was hurtful and it took a while for me to get over that. I think she actually wrote me a letter, I believe, apologizing and see if we can make up as friends. And I said something along the line of like, I'm not mad about it anymore. I think I forgive you, but I, I don't think we could just be friends right away because I still feel kind of hurt about it something along the line so that was the first time I experienced um departure friendship friendship part at least partly due to um internalized racism as an Asian American uh the second time I experienced this was precisely over my second best friend that I made in high school we didn't go to the same high school um she felt really uncomfortable talking about the fact that she'd been dating mostly white men. I should start with chronological order, though. So we became close friends in senior year of high school. I We started talking about these issues that Asian American face, and it was one specifically about body image issue that Asian American women face. I sent a link uh, from YouTube video, and she admitted that she has you know, some of these internalized issue in terms of race, in terms of the idea of whiteness as beauty standard, how it can impact her and a lot of us. Um, so I, I took a note of that. I At the time, uh, I forgot if she broke up with the person still with that person, but at the time she was actually um, dating a, a white girl. For context, she's bi as well. So, And then afterwards, pretty much all the guys she dated were either white or white passing guys. So that was a pattern I've always noticed. It seems like I could only talk to, and this is not just her, it seems like I could only talk to her about the issue of internalized racism that Asian women may have um, in relationship with white men only in this very academic way, only if I introduced the book I mentioned earlier, Asian Mystique, to her, or academic paper, or very general sense. But once we get specific, in this case, specific with her, um, that's when it was this kind of silence. I remember wanting to express my concern, but in a respectful way, you know, of course. And it's a sensitive matter, so you, so you want to make sure to do it in a respectful way. And I, I told her, like, 
hey, can, girl, can we talk? You know, like, uh, oh, I, I was at her home, and I didn't even say what it was exactly, but she, it seems like she knew exactly what I wanted to talk about, and she just said, no, I don't want to talk about it. I didn't even say what it was. Just like I don't want to talk about it. So I'm like, okay, you can't. Obviously, you can't force someone talk about something they don't want to talk about. And I'm not gonna do that because there's no point in doing that. Then there's nothing I could do. And it's unfortunate because the the way I see it, my philosophy of what a best friend means, you can talk to that person about anything and everything. And if you care about that person, you express your concern to them. Um, in that case, clearly, I wasn't able to do that due to her own personal discomfort. So slowly, we kind of just depart. You know, I don't think we ever were like hating on each other, any feel with each other specifically. But there was that sort of uncomfortable, yeah, uncomfortable feeling that I think exists just on that subject, along with, of course, being busy adult. But I think, if we're to be honest, I don't think, and neither of us can blame it only on busy schedule. I think big part of it has to do with the fact. I wanted to get real about a topic. She didn't want to talk about it, so that was that.、Um, the third time,、uh, I would say quite different from the first two, in which she was honest about it. She wanted to talk about it. If anything, this was someone who is actually from California, and I visited her when I flew to L.A. and Orange County. She she told me she struggled with this issue.、Oh, just to give some context, so the, how I met her was through a Facebook group、uh, that no longer exists. Used to be like an Asian American feminist group.、Um, at first, it started out quite good with a lot of good productive discussions. However, things got toxic easily, just like in many social justice groups, unfortunately.、Um, and one of the Taboo I've noticed was again the subject of Asian women with white men. Like there's just like either it's not talked about, and when it's brought up, it's made with like I don't know the defensiveness or excuse of like there was this I remember this Asian woman who was just like I prefer white men because reason X Y Z. Um, and I was like, okay, this is weird, and it feels like you couldn't call it out because you might get gang on. I don't know, but everyone would get defensive about it, and you're gonna be like that loner. Um, and so when I saw her bringing it up, making posts about it, and、I'm, in fact, I remember she posted specifically a video of Esther Koo.、Um, <laughs> I, 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 it caught my attention.、Um, I actually liked the post. I was like, "Yeah, it's fine. Someone talking about it." And I, now that I think about it, funny enough, I think、uh, there was only two likes, one from me, and I, if I remember correct, the other one's probably from her, <laughs> liking her own post. Um, and I messaged her immediately, saying thank you so much, you know, for bringing it up. I feel like I couldn't even talk about it. I mean, I've even attended this like, you know, real life meetup of Asian American feminist group, and majority of the Asian American women there were in relationship with white men, and I was like really awkward. The only one that weren't were me. There's other single Asian women, and there's other black women who we're cool and friends with, and that's pretty much it. Every, seems like everyone else were in relationship with white men. I thought was. I mean, one or two is not a big deal to me. Honestly, I don't care. But when it's the majority, after especially they're apparently very conscious of, about white supremacy and always complain about it, I, there's something I don't know, ironic or concerning about it.、Um, so I've talked to her about that as well, and yeah, it's, it's something she's been struggling with for a while. So we've connected on many things, not just on the race issue, but also in terms of. Of your relationship, on、uh, spirituality, music, art, pretty much anything.、Uh, 
Um, and there was one time she told me that she is apparently this online relationship with this white guy from Sweden, if I'm correctly. Um, and I was really concerned. He's much, much older than her. So he, I was like, okay, there's a lot of red flags going on. You've never met this person. You, you really barely know him. Okay. And he's, there's this huge age gap. Like, race aside, there's already enough red flag. That's just kind of like, cherry on the top um so i was really concerned of course expressed my concern in the most loving gentle way possible um she said no i understand but don't worry about it you know i was like no i am kind of worried about it so if you ever meet him up i know i can't stop you but at least let me know when you do let your family members or friends know you know where you are where you're going in case anything happens hopefully nothing bad happens that sort of dialogue um Eventually, I mean, she broke up with him online again before even meeting him because she found out a lot of shady things about him, like that he's been talking to other Asian women, also much younger than him. Um, I think I believe this other woman from Thailand, and that he has Asian fetish. That he's a very insecure white guy who likes to feel his fragile white male ego by fetishizing Asian women and having them as his so-called girlfriends and cheating, that, that kind of stuff. So, of course, he was, she was upset about it because she was having all these hopes to find this romancing man that loves her, that sort of thing. You know, that's like this desperate desire to have romantic love, which I empathize with, but again, it was concerning who that person was. Um, Afterwards, she admitted that she was actually... A, she was a little mad. She admitted she was a little mad that I said what I said, but then in retrospect, she was actually appreciative of it because she understand, again, I was out coming out of concern and love for her and care for her, um, and that, and that in retrospective that I was right. She said, like, no, you're right. There was just a lot of things wrong with that dynamic. And you know what? It's the fact that I got myself in this situation again, it's not because it's not the first time she was in a relationship with a white guy. Um, again, usually older to, you know, shows that there is still some sort of internalized psychological, you know, issue that she needs to sort out and she figure that she needs to take on this journey of solitude, um, for her own personal healing and peace and whatnot. And I said, okay, I understand. And I, I haven't really talked to her ever since, I think maybe once after one year and that was it at the most, um, so I can only wish her the best. So in this case, you know, I didn't. We didn't exactly like. I don't know if she could call it fallout because really she's taking a solitude thing and she's completely off online. She doesn't really talk to most people except obviously her family member that lives in the same house she lives in. So, but there was that. So there goes my three best friendship with Asian American woman that kind of. I went to a departure in some ways, um, and all related to the issue of race, racism, or specifically the the whole Asian one with white men pairing thing. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because I do feel like with Asian American women, I think we do fall under two camps, which are <laughs> like I think generally Asian American women who are like active participants in WMAF or or Asian American women who do hold reservations. And I do think we do fall into those two camps just because I feel like since I have always been very vocal about my support for Asian men, 
the people who are friends with me tend to be people who are also vocal in their support, or if not vocal, at least willing to listen to me (laughs) be on my soapbox about this, just in general. So I feel like, I feel like it's interesting because in some ways my, I've always had, I've never been somebody who has like a huge group of friends or whatever. I usually only have like a couple of like really, really close friendships that usually are between us two or whatever. I'm not really a group person. So I have noticed that generally, I think that just because of my very strong opinion about like this in general, due to like the media I was consuming or my understanding of history or just my feelings of how to be empowered as a woman of color and stuff like that, I think it has actually influenced some of my um, friends' just attitudes toward the people they date. I mean, so yeah, I had, I have one friend who I consider to be pretty close who is currently in a relationship with a white guy, but I just remember that she was very, like, she was very worried about it, about what it had to, what it said about herself, and what it said about, um, like, the guy, and what it said about a lot of things just surrounding the topic, and, like, whether she was really, like, pro-Asian or whatever, and I remember thinking, like, why are you worried about this? Like, he seems like a great guy. You guys seem to really like each other, so just go for it. Like, it was it was really interesting to me because it was just that, like, even if I hold that, even if I do, I think, probably maybe pathologize these relationships in this way, like, uh, I think it does influence how my friends, how my friends have viewed their relationships in a way that, like, I would never view their relationship in that way. Like... Yeah, I, I just, I would just, I just do believe that there is such a thing as interracial love, but it's not that common. Like, I do think that there is a struggle involved with interracial love that, like, occurs much earlier in a relationship than it does when people are in the same, uh, that are of the same race, which is both a good thing and a, and a bad thing. It's, I think it's a bad thing because a lot of the times maybe you, there's a lot less of a, like, immediate success rate or something, but it's also a good thing because it's like, if you, if you guys can get over that immediately, then you're good for a lot of, (laughs) for a lot of things. I think something that has always been interesting to me is that in the topic specifically of, um, Asian females and white males, the topic has always been about how much of a struggle it is for the Asian female to accept that, the white male's family is, like, Republican, or the white male's family does this, or the white male is, like, kind of racist in this way. It's always been about that, but I do think that it, there's so many things, maybe, like, you can even say traumas, you can even say, like, socialization that occurs as a woman of color, as an Asian woman in the United States, that I think I'm so surprised that there are, isn't more of a conversation on the white male side that is about, like, what, what does it mean to really accommodate a partner's racial trauma or a partner's racial understanding of herself in a relationship? Like, I'm very surprised that there isn't the same 
conversation that is about like that kind of struggle going on or maybe there is and I'm just not talking to the right people right it just seems like this when it whenever someone talks about their struggle with interracial relationship it seems to be more common you know in the case of woman of color white man together that the conversation comes more from woman of color than the white man like I don't hear that as much I don't know is it because it's less of a concern to them or is it because they're afraid to talk about just race right like in general or is it because like just emotional labor often falls on women unequally unfortunately it's it's a combination of all three of those like a those conversations do happen they are way more localized should we talk about how a lot of asian american women uh women and men i would say actually and non-binary queer folks um have unresolved personal trauma and impose that on Asianness and how that may affect their choices and who they become friends with or who they get into a romantic relationship with. Yeah, I have heard. I mean, actually, I haven't heard. I've secondhand heard just because I feel like generally people, I just generally probably cut off this, that kind of conversation immediately. But I have heard, I have secondhand heard of people who say, like, I don't, I don't date Asian men because they either they remind me of my dad or they remind me of my dad who I have a bad relationship with or something like that. That's something that has always surprised me. I hear that, but only um, I I think that's a function of where you grew up, honestly. Um, uh, Like growing up where I did, like it's inconceivable to like, I think the first time someone said that that she couldn't. When someone said that, oh, she didn't, she just couldn't see Asian men um, as like not related to her as a viable romantic candidate. Like this guy we were were talking about, he was drop dead hot. And my first thought was, I freaking wish I had some of that genetic action going on in my family tree, right? (laughs) Like it was, it's like, it's unfathomable because there's so many, there was such a a diversity of Asian-ness around me that you just, you can't, like, of course not. Like it's it, the thought would never occur to me. Like um, so, but it always seems to come from like Asian American women who grew up with relatively few like signals from other Asians and other Asian Americans. So maybe they were the only Asian in their high school, like out in the boonies of Oklahoma or something. Um, or way more limited than that. Uh, like just, just they just don't have that many signals in their life. And the biggest one, of course, would be their own family. Um, so I think it becomes a matter of like psychologically correlating that one very strong signal. It's coming like if the if the strongest male Asian American male presence in your life is your dad or your brother or your cousin. Uh, I can I can see how you go into a context with more Asian Americans, maybe more second gens. Etc. But still carry that signal with you, so you somehow still see yourself as like familial, um, like coming from where I do, like do in situations where there's a lot of um, like there aren't very many Asian people in the room. Um, I'll feel connected with uh, the other Asians in the room. Like maybe we don't talk, but I feel that bond with them. Like it feels more normal for me to like mm-hmm. if a situation came up to talk to them, to befriend them. To, I know we already have that similarity embedded and i think that's uh that's you know in a romantic context that's actually kind of hot 
like to like this is the epitome of the romance romance right like your eyes lock across the room you just know right the art like the act of not like knowing without knowing there's uh that that's that's pretty like that's sexy in this context right uh, I'm not expecting you guys to chime in and say like, yeah, like I'm, I'm just saying like there's that subliminal connection. I don't see it as like familial. I don't see it as I'm related to this guy or this woman or anything like that. But we have that connection. I can just, you know, we can just start talking and chances are like we'll have that connection. Maybe she'll be a total bitch. Maybe he'll be an idiot. Uh, but like you already kind of know, like there is that similar vein. Like there are things we can talk about that we wouldn't be able to talk about the same way with anyone else in the room. Totally. You know, when you said diversity of Asian, that really caught my attention because I think that idea is shocking and like just not thought about for not just non-Asian people, but I think even for some Asian American or Asian who may grow up in other countries outside of Asia, the idea that we're diverse, like especially if they're ex- like exposure to Asian, not only their family members um, who may be stuck in the minds of the 70s, the 80s, um, and thinking that's literally how Asian people think because I have not been to exposed to Asian people from other places other than their home or have never traveled to any Asian country, then they I noticed those tend to assume that's how all Asian people think. That's how Asian cultures, that's how Asia right now is still operating, which is not necessarily the case. I mean, it has evolved just like America, just like other countries have evolved. And somehow this is not a known information to some of them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one. Yeah, like what other people, other racial groups think of us is one thing. The saddest part is when I see uh, that same uh, myth uh reflected amongst our own like there are asian americans you talk to them or you read what they write they are writing from the perspective that asians are a monolithic group like it's it's like not it's like it's not even questioned it's just assumed like this is how there are so many people who claim to stand for asian americans like did you ask me probably you're not speaking for me how did you think that you would be able to yourself without you know without any inquiry claim to stand up for all Asian Americans and with such specificity, not even as a general principle or as a point of activism, but to say your opinions are the opinions of all, what was it, like 20 million of us in this country? Like, get out of here. And and you just see them in your interactions with other Asian Americans, like this assumption that we all are way, like, like we're all just like Borg from the from the like we're just like worker ants from the same hive or something like it's that's very it's it's a really sad stereotype that i wish we would challenge a little bit more internally to be able to see ourselves as a diverse group and i mean i grew up korean in a very very heavily uh chinese area so i know what it feels like to be an outsider i mean it was I always felt like the outsider where I grew up and it was only after leaving and then and then kind of grasping I didn't have the conception of myself as an Asian American honestly like when I grew up growing up I always thought of myself as the Korean amongst the Chinese right it was a really strange conception uh, come to think of it like I was born here raised here I did not think of myself as like Asian American until like college when there was like an Asian American like like students association meeting I'm in there and I'm thinking like, huh, okay, I'm supposed to feel like, like something in common with all these people. Oh, hey, another Korean. 
Um, yeah, that's something really funny because my sister, um, something that I, I think one of the funniest facts about my sister just in general is that like she, because she was in this, like she was in, she went to Manhattan school of music in high school and then she played the cello. So everybody in the orchestra for some reason was like Korean. And then she really conceptualizes like the only, as the Chinese girl in this like squad of Korean people and like (laughs) how like the Korean moms would refer to her was actually like the Chinese girl. And then Mm -hmm. it got to the point where she was watching like so many Korean dramas and listening to so much K-pop that she actually understood like Korean, oh <laughs> like, <laughs> a, like kind of functionally, like it was actually really funny. So yeah, yeah. I mean that's a surprise. So I sympathize with people who grow up in say predominantly white or whatever like ethnic mix because because it is true you do are, you are affected by the circumstances in which you are raised, and the unfortunate part is none of us can fully control that. And you know all we can do is once we once we gain once we get to adulthood is to really challenge what we what we grew up with, what we thought to be true, what our assumptions were, and then just really challenge that with what you where you are now and see if it still holds up and what needs to get to get reworked. So I, I don't like challenging I don't like leveling like self hate as a slur or like an accusation against someone. Like that term needs to be handled a lot more empathetically and a lot more productively. I don't think saying like, oh, you're self hating, this is why you're doing X, Y, and Z and you're problematic. It's and you need to be called out and you know it's just not productive. Right, I, I completely agree. It's often used in its insult in online discussion, I've noticed. Um in Asian American online threats it seems more calmly used as an insult by uh, Asian American men to Asian American women. But honestly, I, I, I personally always, always dislike whenever anyone, and I mean really anyone, uses that as an insult. And there was like a, like a, there's a lack of empathy for it. And because the way I look at it, as someone who struggles with self hate are dealing with some serious pain. I mean, they hate themselves. That's that's painful thing to live with. So for my my immediate response or my immediate feeling, it's empathy. But so Sam, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, for you know, um, I appreciate you sharing stories about your your three friends that you've gone through some hard times with as a result of this issue. Um, what do you think made them shut down the way they did? Good question. I mean, well, the first one just kind of left, you know, like to another different social group, a different racial group um, of friends. Uh, eventually, just by the way, she I've she later on entered a relationship with a Chinese American uh, man, I believe. Um, I think in high school, and then she got into a relationship with a black Jamaican man in college. Uh, it's she seems definitely she has a lot of Asian friends now, so she's a lot more comfortable as an Asian person. Period. So it seems like she has made personal progress in that regard, and I'm I'm glad she's feel happier. But she, I think she's still struggling with this sort of like unique identity of what it means to be like Asian Latina. The second one, I don't know. She's just uncomfortable about it because talking about it would require her to admit, yes, I have these internalized psychological ideas of what being Asian means, what of what being white means, that I have to admit whiteness as beauty standards still affects like my psychology. That my there is certain level, maybe they're not the highest level in terms of racism, but certain level in terms of racism. And I'm I'm saying this because I think there is a various degree to it. Um that's affected my dating choice. 
but that's way too uncomfortable to talk about it. So I'd rather not talk about it. And that's that's kind of the way she dealt with it. And the third one was very honest and open, talking about the issue, but she just felt like she needed to take on this solitude journey for herself for healing. So I mean, I do think that if you are in um, a space where you could be considered an advocate for Asian Americans, I think it's something that is very it's very taboo, probably a little embarrassing if you admit to any sort of self hate if you are placed in that position. So I totally I mean, it understand. Is. That's one of the downsides of empowerment feminism. Um, I felt the effects of it uh, being an engineer, so a woman of color uh, in a predominantly male space. Uh, you feel you feel like the effects of like '80s feminism, the rah rah girls can grow power thing. Like I remember not going, not asking for help from professors when I was struggling because. I was feeling like I was letting my entire like like race and my gender down. It, there's something taboo about being a woman and then admitting in a public in any kind of public way that you are are either a failure or think of yourself as a failure. Because the message immediately is like, no, you're great, you're wonderful, you're beautiful, and the reality is that like like the mo- the Instagram motivational quotes only go so far to paper over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, speaking from personal experience, I remember in seventh grade was when I like, I mean, sixth grade was the beginning of the process. I think my brain was being brainwashed by this whole white supremacist beauty standard thing in media, but like slowly not there yet. And in seventh grade, I had like heart depression. I first time in my life, I had to learn how to live without a best friend. That was completely foreign and new to me. Uh, my friends in Hong Kong, they, you know, kind of departed because they have their own life. I'm living here and we're like continents away. Um, and this best friend whom I call best friend at the time, I could no longer call her that because she just abandoned me. So I was like, it is hard depression. And I was self-hating hardcore. I mean that in a both just like a general individual way, like, oh, I'm not smart enough, no, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not blah, blah, blah enough. Um, and on top of that, plus race, like, oh my God, I am ugly. Also, not entirely, but also big part of it because I'm Asian, like that was a big idea, which looking back, like really messed up, but that's what my, my eyes, my brain saw. And I was like, I hated myself, but also hated I hated myself. You know, like I, it was being, like you said, like being embarrassed that I even hate myself. So it's just like double layers to it on top of self-hate, racial self-hate. Now, on top of what you said about the idea of, of effects of um, feminism, where you're not allowed to talk about your personal insecurity as a woman. Yeah, def- that's definitely real. It's like you have to feel all strong and beautiful, which a lot of us don't feel that way, like 24-7. But it's like you can't admit that. You feel like a failure as a feminist, as a woman, if you do. That's definitely a real thing. How, like, you don't want to admit that you want to feel desired by men because that's, like, fall into patriarchy. But you do feel that way that you feel you want validation from it. Like, discussion like that. Um, still somewhat taboo, but also somewhat more talked about now. Yeah. But I would say this, and this is a recent thought of mine, is that I've noticed a lot of people... Um, both non-Asian and Asian-American in social justice community use very legitimate issues, like very real issues as a way to trash Asian cultures, Asian people as a whole, which is 
frustrating. So issues such as sexism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, etc. Um, they are very real problems. Yeah. They do exist. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't want anyone to just, just dismiss it or downplay it, which is what I see some people, in this case, cis, straight, Asian-American men do trying to defend it, and they get where it's coming from, but it's not being effective or being very honest about reality. Um, but it's also frustrating, right, because they're using these real issues in order to just trash talk about Asian. And that's frustrating to me. Um, uh, also, same thing with the issue of racism. Is there a racism Asian community? Absolutely. Should we call it out? Absolutely. But is that a reason to trash talk Asian people, Asian culture, and Thai as a whole? Talk them in a very monolithic way or even make anti-Asian racist sentiment? No, I don't think so. And that's something we need to be critical of. And unfortunately, I see... Um, Asian American, young Asian American online are doing that, are repeating those kind of rhetoric. Yeah, no, I just wanted to um, agree with you a lot. That's something that I was thinking about in terms of what type of, I guess it sounds a little weird, but what type of Asian would do social justice spaces attract? And also, I think artistic spaces attract. Like, generally, I think that... um, It's interesting because I would say that I started off college both in the social justice space and the artistic space, and then I just ended up leaving both spaces in college, just in general. Um, And I always ask a little bit, like, why I did that. And I think in, yeah, in a lot of ways, there is something very, there's something very interestingly toxic about those spaces to an Asian American, which I guess could be, like, another podcast or whatever. But, like, um, in terms of art, for example, I think that there's a very clear divide between black art and, like, the art of the academy or something. And then um, it sucks that there's, like, that kind of differentiation between the two, but it's even more alienating if you don't fit into either of those molds. So... Um, and then you constantly have to be toggling that line or something like that. Um, it's like, it's really, I I think, I think that's really interesting. And then to me, what we end up seeing as the public are the people who are able to pummel through that space, um, until they're able to reach a little bit the end. So they're just able to keep on pummeling into that space. And then even if they didn't even start out that way, but it, you, need to end up adopting some of the assumptions of the space that you're in in order to succeed in that space. So we're really kind of seeing a self-selected group of people. And then just in terms of like the social justice sphere, I think it really, really takes a lot of patience and like self-love to be able to exist kind of in the social justice space as an Asian American and still love your Asian Americanness, just because I think it there's I think it's really difficult actually for the social justice space to talk about any issue that is not entirely American. Yeah, I think it's really I think it's just really difficult for them to talk about like what are what are the influences of your home cult- culture? What is the trauma of actually like moving into the American culture and not and, like, what does it mean to fully integrate into American society and be, like, what happens if 
those are the reasons why you're not really well versed in all these social issues going around or like your parents are not very well versed in all these social issues going around like it's not a very forgiving space for that at all I think that's why it's important to just create Asian American spaces like plan a in general because it's just those other spaces that we would like to find ourselves in are not like the most welcoming spaces to Asian Americans in particular. So that's how I feel. I, I guess it was, this was a, this, you know, when we started this pod, I was, I was kind of going back and forth on, you know, a little concern, like thinking through what we wanted to say, like there's a particular message and, you know, I was really stressing about that, but I think the story here isn't so much that there is a point it's just that it's so rare to just even have an empathetic ear, like someone to just be able to say, yeah, I've gone through something like that. Or even if you haven't necessarily, I get enough of what's going on to understand uh, where where you're coming from, right? Your frustration. Like, as Christina said, like, it's it's true. All of these other bigger, main, more mainstream organizations don't really have a lane for us to comfortably be in. Like, I think by almost by design, Asian Americans are expected to be sort of identity-less, right? Like we talked about the frustrations of being seen as a monolith. We're also, like there's a revulsion to seeing an Asian American like stand up for him or herself, like really, like as people, as individuals, and as like political beings on their own. So even in these, and you just see that so clearly, uh, like most clearly, in spaces like like the LGBT movement, let's say, or even like like political movements, um, where there's a resistance to allowing like full vocalization of a, of a dissenting opinion or even a, a more nuanced opinion that better accommodates Asianness in that perspective. And I think it's it's a bummer to see, and I actually understand the reaction to kind of shut down or like try like like hide what your real thoughts are to kind of toe the party line wherever that party may be so i think the 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 only point is just to be able to talk just to be able to say without without a filter or without you know adopting a, a certain you know party's rhetoric or anything just to be honest about what your experience have been and have some trust that the person listening is uh, has the empathy and the compassion and the and like the similarity of experience just people say yeah i like i get it there's no it's not a political point it's just a point it's a person's experience i think there's a lot of value in that so i really appreciate you coming on to share that experience yeah thank you jess um i think based on what christina has shared and what i share it seems like our next episode or future episode might be on Asian American activism and the way public dialogue is being held on Asian people on the internet. I think that's something we need to address because oftentimes it gets pretty fucked up, to be honest. So I totally agree. Oh, look at that. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's something we definitely should talk about in a future episode. In terms of a final message to Asian American women as a way to wrap up this episode, um, particularly to the ones uh, who are in relationship with white men, I guess what uh, what I want to say is I'm not here to tell you what to do. No one can tell you what to do. I mean, you do what you want. But I do strongly suggest, um, if especially if you there's like a history, a pattern of dating white men repeatedly, even only exclusively, to really ask yourself 
some some soul searching questions like why is it that how did it happen is it because your your race in a white neighborhood and go to white school and predominantly white people only as a number thing not that it can take away a potential child's racism but is that a factor or is it not even that like in my case my second best friend asian american woman in america that was not the case at all she went to predominantly asian school so i know it's not even that um is it because of unresolved personal trauma that and you're posing that entirely of asianness um is it because how you feel about yourself as an asian person as an asian woman specifically and feeling inferior feeling not as pretty because you're not white i think you need to get real about that it is a very painful thing and trying to get close to whiteness you're trying to find that from a white man um and trying to find some validation on your external appearance your beauty from a white man like what is it exactly i think that's something you need to ask yourself the answer to not any of that's definitely not because asian men reminds me of brothers we we know that's bullshit so um this and i'm not saying this in any way to be judgmental but genuinely out of place of love and care for our own well-being as a people period right but also as women specifically like the way, I guess one good way, I'm not saying this is the only way, but one of the good ways to check if you're having a healthy interracial relationship or unhealthy interracial relationship, uh, two things are, um, are you able to have these open, honest conversations about it? If you can't even talk about it, something is wrong about of it, right? Like in relationship in general, right? You want to have open communication, you want honesty in it. So that's one. And two, it's also like how you feel about yourself as an Asian person, if you feel in any way, even in the slightest, even in the slightest, as an Asian person, any inferiority attached to it, or if you feel in any way, again, even in the slightest, it doesn't have to be an extreme way, even in the slightest, that whiteness is superior, or non-Asianness as at least better than Asianness, if you hate yourself, you're Asianness that much, because sometimes there are some Asian Americans with anti-racism don't always and with a white person but that's typically the case sometimes with a non-asian person of color so i have to point that out as well you really got to step back and and ask yourself these questions talk to friends who you feel comfortable that not judgmental that care about you of these problems you can even talk to hopefully if you can find one in your community asian american therapist or counselor or something really ask yourself these questions before getting defensive about it or lying to yourself there's nothing at all wrong with the relationship for your own good so that's my final message <laughs> so yeah i think that's a wrap uh christina jess and sam thank you so much for joining us um actually the by the time we release this france might have won the world cup so christina if you hear like <laughs> la marseillaise playing on the streets incessantly you are gonna be so happy Hi, thank you for listening to the Escape from Plan A podcast. Uh, If you like us, please check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And if you like us, please subscribe, give us five stars, leave a comment. If you do, we'll send you good energy. And if you want to read our articles, please go to planamag.com. So thank you for listening, and catch us next time. Bye, everyone. Aruba, shut up. Shut up. How can you be better than me? Shut up. Shut up. Best in the scene. Tell my man, look, come back for me a backup dancer. Stay to the streets, I'm a backup dancer. If that makes me a backup dancer, the man in the bids, backup dancer. The man in the pigs, backup dancer. I'm gonna chat about backup dancer. Big man like me with a